Duke 6 Eagle Thrust. Put on Cywar up. Make it loud. Romeo Fox. Shall we dance? You are listening to the Sit Rep Podcast, your source for historic wargaming with a fresh perspective. We review the latest and greatest products in wargaming, discuss rules and what-if scenarios, and we cover the news and the latest trends. This is all brought to you by your Sit Rep command team from around the world. Join us for another riveting conversation here on the Sit Rep Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to 2021, show number one of season six of the Sit Rep Podcast. We have the entire command team present and accounted for today, and we are ready to kick off this new season uh, with some brand new uh, content and some ideas and all kinds of good stuff coming down the pipe, and we're going to talk about a lot of gaming, and hopefully our format's a little more fine-tuned. And we've given everybody official roles so they know what they're doing, and we will just amp up the show. So with me today, starting from east to west, Gaz over in the UK. How are you doing, Gaz? I am good. How's everybody out there? Oh, just dandy. How are you handling lockdown number two, three? What is it for you guys now? Uh, three, I think it is. Is it really? Uh, so for me, it's not any different. So I'm still going to work, still doing full time. Um, we're just, yeah, shops are still open. So it's just, um, a little more restrictive, but mm-hmm. it's not as the same as the one we did the first one. Gotcha. Okay. But yeah. Our numbers are, uh, yeah. I thought, they, I thought they locked down like out. the entire country to whatever the tier was where you really just can't do anything. You have to stay home. Is that not the they, case? No, no. Yeah, they, they have. But uh-huh. this time they put in a caveat of, um, so if your company's open and you can't work from home, you go to work. Oh, okay. okay. So if the company is considered one of the crucial, which is a lot to be fair, you know, it's all transport, all sort of goods, fast food, food, restaurant. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, so when I drive to work in the morning, the only thing that's probably not there traffic wise is school. Yeah. School traffic. So it feels kind of normal. Gotcha. Okay. Well, is the pub open? No. Oh, well, no. Sadly not. Okay. Well, we'll see what uh, the new year brings with the uh, immunizations and vaccines. So hopefully um, it'll help start turning things around. Coming from the east to the west, over on the east coast of Florida, is our historical editor-in-chief, Mr. Big Jim Ariskany. How are you, sir? Hey, how you doing, everyone? Uh, Not too bad over here. The weather is nice and chilly for a change. And, uh, yeah, can't complain. Was it like 60? Yeah. You suck. <laughs> it's like, what, 20 here today? Bomb me 33. Here. Oh, 33. It was 60 God. here, and I was like, I got to put on long pants. I got to put on a shirt with sleeves. Uh, <laughs> Why is my girlfriend at the front I was going to say, uh, yeah, our year has already started. Yeah. But, uh, absolutely. Awesome. Yep, definitely ready. Awesome. And then joining us is our IT dude, Mr. Chris. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you all doing? Excellent. Are you ready for a big year? 
I am. I'm hoping it's better than last year. Right. All right. And then our project manager, our, what do we call you? Project manager. Shop uh, foreman. Yes. Shop, shop foreman. Shop foreman. That's right. Shop foreman. This is like this old house, but this old war table, gaming table. Yeah. 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 It's Marty. Marty, how are you yeah. doing? Uh, I'm, I'm doing well. Doing well. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I'm uh, already uh, leaning forward into our first project of the year. I've been working on building Ukrainian houses. Excellent. That'll be coming up for a project we'll talk about. Yep, All right. Yep. And then last but not least is Bill, and I'm just the one that tries to hold the glue together long enough for things not to fall apart. And we are ready and excited for this next season. Can you believe it? It's season six already. Now, to be fair, we've only been in operation over three years now, three and a half years. Um, in the first couple of years, we did uh, half years as a season. So we do, you know, like a six month and that'd be a season, take a break and then do another one. And then this last year, we did the entire year with season five. And that, I think going forward, that it's pretty much the plan. So 20, 2021 is season six. And we've got a lot of stuff already planned out. We had a really good uh, meeting last weekend with the team and kind of mapped out uh, the future uh, for 2021. And I think uh, we have some good direction and organization. And like I said, we we gave everybody their roles so they kind of know where their responsibility lies and just to help to improve the show and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. So why don't we go ahead and get going? Gaz, would you like to start with the news? I think the news should kick us off. Gaz? Have we already lost Gaz? No, not a problem. I just uh, got caught unawares. The running order was slightly different. <laughs> <laughs> so I was still mic'd. <laughs> you expect us to actually go by the running order? Come on. Everyone knows that doesn't happen. Well, it's not necessarily a running order as it is, hey, suggestions, right? This is what we're going to talk about. I guess, to be fair, in the future, we will always do the news first after our oh. intros, okay? Yeah. Well, I spent the next four seconds after you said Gaz talking to a mic that was kicking off twenty twenty-one pretty much as Hey, we gotta work out the bumps, right? It's all good. It's the first show of the season. Uh, so um yeah, I've got uh, two or three items to bring up today. Um I'm gonna start with one that I've not come across before and it's a company called Grenzer Games. Uh, we'll be putting links in so you guys can have a look at what they're going to do. So these guys are um, producing some 15 millimeter STL files. I know we've started to look into um, what we can print ourselves and mm -hmm. what's available to the community. And they're doing some really nice 15 mil Roman legionnaires. Um, they've just started off the range and they cover a number of other uh, years. But the, uh, the new Roman legionnaires consist of sort of a command sprues. Uh, our command cohort, um, their infantry, they've got pelums, they've got um, blades drawn with shields. So you can make quite a nice mock-up of the elements that you want. Mm -hmm. um, the items come supported and unsupported, which is always nice to be able to just put in the supports that are already there. And um, we also have one of the legates in the form of Quintus Drusus. Um, so all in, you know, if looking at what's available there, um, the deal for the whole Roman cohort to buy the files is £4.80. So probably, what, six, six, seven bucks? Yeah. Um, and then you could just print to your heart's content, you know, and uh, and make a force of 15 mil. 
Um, looking at the detail level, I'd say they're at least comparative to Flames of War, something that more people are sort of aware of. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to maybe picking up a file or two to see what comes out of it. Yeah, we'll definitely have to uh, get some of those because I think uh, people were really receptive to the uh, test printing that we did for Quartermaster 3D, which we'll talk about a little bit more. But yeah, I think that's definitely a way the uh, gaming world is leaning. So we should definitely explore that some more. So that's cool. Um, So it's all uh, Roman Legionnaires. Is it the... um, does it say exactly which time period in the Roman Empire it is or Republic? Uh, no, I think it's more generalized. Okay. It's, it's what you associate with. I think it's gone for visual. Okay. Uh, this is their first step in the pool of, of Roman legionnaires. Gotcha. Um, it's in a, based on, uh, based on, the, uh, on the weapons that you're, that you're talking about, I don't have the pictures in front of me, but based on the weapons you're talking about, it sounds like early imperial. Yeah, Which is like yeah, yeah. The, the st- like when most people think of Romans, they think of an old like sword and sandals kind of a Bible movie from the '60s, you know, first century BC, first second century AD, yeah, early early imperial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean they've built a game system around it, and it's called Lance's Point, um, and it's a card-driven tabletop war game. So again, something slightly different, which is is going to be interesting to see once they start putting stuff more stuff out there. Um, to be enemy forces, etc. Um, it should be interesting to see what you uh, what you guys think as well out there. Um, but they cover, I mean, they cover quite a number of of different periods. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like they're building stuff. They've got British divisions, German divisions. You know, they're starting to build files specifically um, in fifteen mil to be bought that are supported and unsupported. So maybe when, you know, you get to those certain units of your Flames of War where you've got a, too, a few too many repeat prints, maybe this will be an option just to come across, spend a few pounds or a few dollars and pick up just some different um, positions of, you know, body positions, different sculpts to mix in to sort of add a little more spice to the force and make it a little more varied. Sure. Awesome. All right. What's next? Uh, so second one um, is Futsal North America. Uh, so next month in February, they have a 10-day Kickstarter that will be coming out uh, called Savage Frontier, based in the French-Indian War. Uh, you're going to see the available uh, models for uh, Rangers, uh, the French, and some of the natives. And uh, it's going to be set up. It's very um, uh, winter uh, settings, mm-hmm. so the guys are all dressed quite differently than the normal model ranges that are out there for the most part. So they're there in their furs, you know, well wrapped up. Um, so it's, it's something just a little different for a visual point of view. From a table point of view, you can you can pick up all this stuff and it's almost like a winter version of that sort of battle and, and, and the fights that went on and around that war in itself. Very cool. That's uh, that's nice to see some variation on that theme. I mean, I it's not a war or period that's played a lot but i mean there's what muskets and tomahawks and a couple other ones um but to see the alternate sculpts that where you can do some of the winter campaigns or battles if you will um that's pretty cool is there a rule set to go with these or is it just minis do you know it's straight into muskets and tomahawks so it fits straight in with that okay just a line that's going to branch into another part of the country and narrative gotcha uh, it's still quite early with information so they've got stuff up on their Facebook page that'll be the link that we'll send but actually it's just a single post with an image mm-hmm. 
Um, all we've got is it's a 10-day Kickstarter coming out in February. Uh, I'm just scrolling down now to, to get the actual date of it. And, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing sort of what's going to be in this Kickstarter, what's going to be in its production line. Because gotcha. um, the miniatures are shown mm-hmm. uh, are the rangers in a, in, with a snow-covered base with trees around them. And, you know, they look really interesting. Uh, so looking forward to seeing that. But, yeah, they've, they've not even stated what day of the month they're going to put the Kickstarter out. All right. Well, yeah. we'll reach out but to the awesome. We'll reach out to Tim and see if we can get more information. Uh, it's Tim Spakowski. He's the uh, rep for Footsore uh, Miniatures North America. So we'll see if we can get some more information from him. So that looks good. Cool. If that's something you guys are interested in, or you want to do something just a little bit different than the norm, uh, keep an eye out for that. What else you got for us, guys? Uh, so switching to the other. Footstores miniatures game. <laughs> uh, we have the um, Barons. Um, the Barons War Range is now in some pre-order. So the rule set and such are in pre-order for the Barons War. And what is the Barons uh, War again? I'm just bringing up, the, give you the full spec now. Okay. This is what happens when we go out of room order. <laughs> 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 I'm jumping around because I've not opened the links yet. I know I do it at the start. Sorry. So I've stacked My all the bad. links ready for me. My um, bad. So, so yeah, back to 28 mil for the Barons War. Um, and this will bring in, it takes you crusading essentially through the Middle East, uh-huh. um, through the 4th, 5th, and 6th Crusades, um, and covers a, a number of decades in actuality. Um, so their rule book's up for pre-order now. It's also available as PDF. Uh, once you start getting into this, this is that great look and visuals of the horses that have got all the iconography and the, the barding upon them. So you can really get to town with color schemes mm-hmm. for the knights and, and uh, the infantry are the same. There's, you know, you've got, the, you've got plenty of shield, kite shields in there to put iconography on. And uh, I mean, the range just keeps growing uh, and it's good to now finally sort of get hands on to specific rule sets so you can build stuff around these. Very cool. Very cool. As far as what the Barons War actually was, um, Bill, you were asking? Yes. Um, the, the Quake version is uh, Robin Hood, the sequel. Robin Hood, the so sequel. It, okay. Yeah, it's like the generation after, you know, that, that tale where, you know, Prince John is supposedly running roughshod over, uh, I guess what would become Great Britain at the time was still, you know, England trying to come together as a, as a single kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, the barons were really finally had, that's what kind of, I think, I, I'm not an expert, but I'm pretty sure that's why they called the barons war. The barons were kind of getting sick of, uh, you know, his autocracy or whatever. And... Um, they, it was. I don't know if it was a civil war, but it was definitely a period of unrest. And it, it's just, this is the kind of thing that eventually leads to the Magna Carta and things like that. Okay. So it's like early 13th century, like 1205 to 1220, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the general period I think they're going for. At least that's what the name suggests. Gotcha. Very cool. Does that, does, that, does that sound about right, Gaz, based on what you're looking at? Or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's post-Richard uh, the Lionheart, which is probably one of the more famous kings of the period. Yeah, he was like, he was like a late, late 1100s. Yeah, was, so... I think so, yeah, John the it, First was, wasn't John the first his brother? I'm not 100%. Oh, okay. Actually, I don't. We don't learn our kings and queens like you learn your president. <laughs> we don't learn our presidents either. Because uh, we don't think, want to go back people think uh, Ben Franklin was a president because he's on the $100 bill. Yeah, let's not talk about our education system and the way it's 
heading these back days. Back in seventh grade, uh, social studies, right? <laughs> I remember back in the day, you did have to learn all the states and capitals. You had to learn the presidents. You know, you took your constitution test. I don't know if they do that stuff anymore. So, anywho, all right. So, okay. You got uh, another item for us there, Gaz, in the news? Yeah, so we'll, we'll finish out with uh, a bit of a, a mixed period from a same company. Okay. So um, going moving across the Battlefront miniatures, mm-hmm. uh, Flames of War, we're now seeing the release uh, at the end of this month of the Bagration Germans. Okay, so, so stop. Right there. What is the Bagration, Bagration Germans? I'm not sure. Go f- on, Jim. I'll let you weigh in on this. Bagration is probably the biggest single offensive launch in World War II. <laughs> Sorry, D-Day. Sorry, Overlord. You're not even close. Bagration was uh, 22nd June 1944. It was uh, the Russian part of that overall plan. So as the Allies are landing in Normandy mm-hmm. on 6th June 1944, of course, we all know, um, the Russians, or I should say the Soviets, sort of delayed it a little bit because reasons – um, symbolically, they timed their huge offensive out of the Soviet Union into Poland and Eastern Europe. Um, or, uh, they still had a lot of Belarus at the time, I shouldn't say that, but their big offensive out of the East into what was going to become like Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, 22 June 1944, that's the third anniversary of the German invasion into Russia. So this is like, you know, Stalin's payback. Uh-huh. Uh, it's named for an old, uh, the actual name, Bagration, I think they, I think it's pronounced. I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, it's the name of a Russian uh, marshal during the Napoleonic Wars. Oh. And they named the operation after him. Um, this actually shows a pretty big shift in, in Soviet thinking. I mean, in pure old school Leninist, Stalinist thinking or whatever, mm-hmm. you couldn't name anything. Or reference, or have the uniforms match, or name a tank after, or a base after anything that happened before 1917. It was considered, you know, czarist, bourgeois, and all that nonsense. Oh, wow. Um, But as the war progressed, yeah, they started to bring back all the old decorations, all the old medals. Um, They started naming, um, like this, they started naming um, big-time operations after Napoleonic generals. Mm. Um, Yeah, so it's a huge, god damn, I don't even remember, like, I, I go over three million people. It was huge. It was it was D-Day plus several orders of magnitude. It was huge. Um, of course, they didn't have to cross any real water. Um, but uh, it uh, wiped out an entire German army group. Army group center was just gone. So everyone talks about Stalingrad where they lost 6th Army. This was an army group. This was like several armies all at once. Um, it started off in Belarus. It wound up, uh, by the time it was done, they were halfway through Poland. They were pretty much at the gates of Warsaw. Um, long story short, take your first shot. It's, uh, it's, it's summer, it's high summer 1944. It's a absolutely huge Soviet offensive that finally carries the war pretty much out of this, what used to be the Soviet Union and into, you know, what's today, you know, Poland, Romania, um, and so on, uh, into uh, Eastern Europe. Wow. That was a big deal. Well, it was a big yeah. And as far as what the Germans were like at that time, man, they were really, they were on their last legs. They were falling apart. Um, so I'm curious to see what these minis look like. Uh, are there like bulk storm in there or like? Yeah, so um, the good thing is with it being what it is, they've actually not just done a repeat starter set. So although some stuff, there's two five ones in there, the infantry's in there, there's some 88s, so some artillery support. Those are kind of stuff we've seen in other starter sets, but what it does bring to the to the sort of the table is Panzer 470s. Uh, we see some Hetzers, some uh, Marders, 
And one of my favorite looking uh, <laughs> tanks of the Second World War, especially for the Germans, the Ostwind uh, Verbalwind uh, anti-aircraft on the uh, Panzer IV chassis. Uh, yeah. Just visually, they look awesome to me. Um, and I, I, I dread to think what a grenade would also do in the wrong place on that vehicle. <laughs> Um, it being an open top turret for anti-aircraft um, but uh, yeah some really nice visuals uh, the box set uh, looking at the box set you're looking like uh, four 251s maybe 10 to 12 um, stands of infantry 288s four pieces of artillery um, I'm looking at uh, let's see three three Marders uh, two Oswinds and probably four of 470s and I mean for the price of these start sets normally they're just such a bargain uh, there's also going to be a they've started doing the tin trays with dice and tokens okay so that's that's in amongst the releases for that as well uh, as and the, the rule book specifically for Federation Germans so yeah it's it's a range that's growing the end of the war it'll be interesting to see once this is filtered through where they go to move forward really. mm-hmm. yeah yeah, most definitely. And continuing on, on the, with Battlefront, what else you got there for us, guys? Yeah, on the flip side of that, we move all the way into modern. Strange that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so for World War Three, uh, Team Yankee um, in March. So not quite yet, but we want to try and get ahead of the news, obviously. Mm-hmm. We see the West Germans um, coming out in miniature form as a starter set and a packaged sort of um, initial step-off point. Oh. Uh, it's made up of a Falsham Jager company. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to see some uh, uh, very nice uh, bits of kit and equipment in amongst all this in the form of Leopard 2A5s, Marder 2s, um, alongside, uh, yeah, weasels <laughs> in resin. <laughs> the Leopard 2A5s, do they have like a different shaped turret than the Leopard 2s? Where it almost looks more pointed in the front or... Is it you your usual? You have to be the one looking for that, Jim, not me. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you what the normal one looks like. Um, I'll say this much. Uh, I bought, when Team Yankee was kind of first coming out back in 2015, 2016, I bought the uh, the Leopard 2 platoon. I think it's just the regular Leopard 2. And then the Leopard 2, A3, A4, A5, they started coming out with all this other stuff. The kind of how you can tell, if I'm thinking of the right variant, is they start adding this um, this modular armor, this additional armor package to the front that kind of gets bolted on, and that's where the uh, the Leopard Two goes from this almost uh, postmodernistic looking tiger look to its turret, um, where it's got like this ninety degree, you know, the the, the, the turrets kind of the turret lines kind of come straight up. Um, it's not round like the tiger was, um, like the original tiger was, uh, but it looks very um, it looks very ninety degree ish or whatever. Um, I bought those kits back in, I think, 2016 or whatever. I uh, won my first golden button with those. And I think a big part of that is because of the quality of the kits. Whoever, I've said this before, whoever designed the way the Leopard 2 tracks in that kit connect to the sprue deserves a friggin' Nobel Peace Prize, man, or something. I mean, it's it's the most beautiful way I've ever seen tracks attached to a sprue. Um, I don't know if you guys have built many tanks before off of plastic sprues. Oftentimes, the, the join point to the sprue has this very um, inconvenient way where the sprue joins to the track, like right between the, the segments of the track, and mm-hmm. it's really difficult to dig out of there. Here, it's like right on the side. It's the exact same shape and thickness. 
um, of the actual tiger of the actual uh, track uh, segment. So you just do a very quick cut with your. Um, it's a small detail to get into, but you just do a very quick cut with your with your hobby knife, and it's absolutely seamless. Um, if these are if these are anything like the original Leopard Two kits from Team Yankee, is the long short version of this. Um, absolutely fantastic kit, really. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's 15 millimeter, right? Yeah, leopard yeah, two. Yeah. Just, it, may, it just may be a different version of the leopard. Um, yeah, leopard two I mean, uh, I'm not sure. It's really busy at the minute. I'm sorry. Sorry, they're really busy at the minute. The um, the release schedule for Flames of War and for Team Yankee. You know, they're they're really filling time. You can see that they've been working during the stand downs, and they're they're stacking up some really nice box sets for both both their sort of main war game systems. I mean, even for Bagration, uh, we're going to be seeing Axes and Allies, which brings stuff like a Hungarian starter set. I mean, how often do you see some of the smaller countries get starter sets? Right. So that's that's really nice to see. Uh, when it comes to sort of Team Yankee, they're carrying that forward in the form of the Warsaw Pact, um, which is coming later this year, which we'll talk on more then. And that's going to have East Germans, Poles, Czechoslovakians. So again, we're going to see mixed armor from various countries. It's, it's just... It's giving you the more options than we normally get from the sort of the main ranges. And towards the end of the year, I know, Jim, you'll be very happy to see this one hit the uh, the table. Uh, the bulge is coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're getting ready for that, uh, getting ready for that anniversary. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking at Lipper 2A5s uh, here now. Um, again, I'm not looking at the uh, at the kit itself, but just like the real tank, the, the Leopard 2A5. I want to bring this up because, again, the Leopard 2, the classic Leopard 2 has come out from Team Yankee in 20, I think it was late 2016, they finally came out with Bundeswehr. This is not the same tank. This is not just a re-release. Hey, let's, you know, make some more money by slapping a new, you know, label on the box and starting it. This is the, this would have to be a new kit because um, the turret has a completely different shape. Oh. So, yeah, this is definitely interesting. And, uh, yeah, I might have to get my hands on some of these more modern Leopard 2s. All right. Now, it's, it's, it's a Leopard 2, same as the other one. It just has mm -hmm. a very a highly upgraded turret. And I don't see how it could be the same kit. So there, it's not just a re-release, I guess is the, uh, the long and short of it. Okay. So didn't they already have a West German starter set? Is this a re-release? Or were there just like um, unit boxes? I'm trying to remember if I picked up the West German starter set. I I picked up some of the West German stuff when it first came out, uh -huh. and I'm looking at what the Leopard 2A5 looks like. It could not be the same. Okay, kit. all right. So it would have, or at least the turrets are are vastly different. Okay, I mean, it would have. It, it's definitely new stuff. Okay, it would have to be. All right, yeah. very cool. So if uh, you guys, yeah, it might be that they focus on the Falschmjager company. Ah, uh, okay, uh, yeah, might have brought in some 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 different assets to, there the, you go. to the table. Yeah. Um, so if you guys are into some 15 millimeter modern war gaming, um, 80s, you know, the what if situation, Cold War gets hot type thing, uh, definitely check them out as well. There's other options that have come out recently as well, but uh, yeah, definitely check out the starter sets. And that'll do us for the news, unless you had any final thoughts, Gaz. No, no that's right. it for the news today. Nice work, well, Gaz. I do have something to uh, ask uh Jim, I well not ask but more state. I really like the uh, um, linking of the Nobel Peace Prize and tank building. That was well, maybe I should have said like Nobel Prize for Science or something. But yeah, <laughs> it makes peace. You know, you fire the main gun downrange, and right. let's just say thirty three hundred meters downrange, things get yeah. very quiet after peace a while. Through superior firepower. Oh, 
There you go. Exactly. Awesome. Especially um, that leopard gun. Uh, just in case the people don't know, that leopard's main gun is totally the M two fifty six gun on our on our M one A ones and M one A twos. Like the Abrams gun is mm-hmm. not an American gun. That's a German gun that was first used on the Leopard two. So, whenever you want to put a really good tank gun on your uh, on your tank, ask the Germans. Yeah, they tend to know a thing or two about that. Yeah, they put big guns on tanks. All right, let us transition into some of the topics that each team member has picked for the show. Um, since we've already kind of transitioned in it during uh, the news thing, I'll talk quickly about the Quartermaster test parents. The Quartermaster 3Ds was kind enough to send us STL files for some of their modern um, miniatures that they're going to be coming out with this month. And I printed up um, the set. Uh, I did it a couple different prints. I did it in a gray resin, and I did it in the green translucent resin just to see how they looked in different settings. But I didn't change anything as far as the model itself. So I didn't change supports. I didn't change anything there. I just changed printer settings. Um, I also posted a link uh, on our Facebook page about the settings you can use for an AnyCubic Photon printer uh, based upon the resin you're using. And I did use those settings, and the minis came out really nice. Um, the, actually, I print, I painted up uh, one Insurgent and one Modern U.S. guy, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, detail-wise, they're really nice. They are really nice. Um, the support seemed to work just fine. I didn't notice any issues with the thin parts, like the weapon barrels or anything like that. Um but, yeah, no, they, they took the paint really well. Uh, I did use contrast paints for 99.9% of them. And it took the contrast paint really well, especially the uh, insurgent that I painted up. He came out really good. Um, when I transitioned over to this American modern soldier, I did something really crazy, and I just used contrast paints to do camouflage, and I hate it, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think the contrast paints work well when you're trying to do camouflage. Um, It kind of just looks like a mess. It looks like Chinese camouflage, actually. Um, I was going to say, these are the ones that you painted on Wednesday, right? Yeah, the ones I painted on Wednesday, yeah. The, the the American or the, the the Western one didn't 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 look too bad, but oh, again, I'm you. only looking at it on camera. Right? Yeah, I mean, close up. It's not to the standard I would like it, at, obviously. And you know, I did it in in under 20 minutes. You know, this was a speed painting thing, and um, you know, I just wanted to get some paint on them to see how well it brought out detail. Uh, that was really the whole test of this: is how do these look? painted because i did uh prime a couple and just use none oil on them just to see detail and the detail on them is really good um they have nice creases in their pants their webbing has nice detail the ammo pouches have nice detail you can see the tabs and the buttons and you know their weapons have the right kind of uh grooving the furniture looks good on the weapons um facial you know there's definitely some uh, the faces aren't just a blob with a couple slits. Um, no, they, they're really good. And it's amazing what you can do in your own home on your resin printer. You know, obviously, we did not try these on an FDM printer. I don't think FDM, while I have a friend, um, Tom, who's the owner of Fat Dragon Games, who would probably disagree with me on some aspects because he does a lot of uh, miniature creation and printing on an FDM printer, um, I think resin is the way to go with miniatures especially in this format. Um, but they came out really good. So I, at this point, 
we are giving the seal of approval for the miniatures that we test printed down the like i said we only got a uh, four but if the other ones follow suit quartermaster 3d's moderns that they're putting out uh definitely are worth something to look into to download if you have a printer at home and honestly like i said in the podcast or the show on wednesday night you can get the printer i use the anycubic photon first generation right now it's like 169 dollars um you can buy it for so i mean it doesn't get any cheaper than that really be honest with you for a nice uh, resin printer that works yes it's a small build plate but i was able to easily paint uh print four minis i could probably do much more than that just by spacing them out a little better but um definitely a way to go if you want to get some minis on the table these um insurgents will work great in some you know modern obviously like if we did afghanistan or whatever case scenario you know, you could definitely use them for it. I mean, some of them are, like, masked, so you could use them for, like, bank robbers if you wanted to do, like, a SWAT versus, you know, bank robbers. Whole, you know, almost like an L.A. scene, you know, because... Oh, yeah, from uh, Heat. Yeah, Heat or the actual L.A. bank robbery. Because, uh, you know... the it was based on Heat. Yeah, so... <laughs> Well, he, he must have missed the end of that movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'll tell this. I don't know if I've told the story before, but I was in the police academy when Heat came out. And we were talking about it in class one day, and we're, and our instructor goes, that will never happen in real life. That is just, you know, it's awesome to look at on the movies, never happen in real life. And literally, it was like the next day is when the L.A. bank robbery happened. And so he kind of ate crow, but, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, n- the miniatures are really nice. Uh, you know, if you just take your time and print them, they cleaned up nice. Um, you know, to Gaz, uh, Gaz and I were ch- chatting about uh, the supports and how to remove them. Um, I definitely like Gaz's idea that you can put them in hot water to soften up the supports a little bit to make it easier to remove. Um, I ended up curing mine first and then removing the supports, and it's a little bit more brittle that way, so I definitely would do removal supports before curing them. But I wanted to test both ways to see how everything held up, Um, and so it definitely works uh, wonders. So uh, as of right now, Quartermaster 3D, um, your test prints that you sent us were really nice. They painted up nice. Details good. So if you're looking for some miniatures that you can, I'm not sure what the pricing is on these yet. Um, I can't imagine it'd be outrageous. So you can definitely invest in it and print ship all the minis you need to play a game. And, you know, it took me two and a half hours to print four minis. I could, you know, like I said, it doesn't matter how many minis on a resin printer, it will always print the same amount of time. So um, I did the first set in 10 and a half hours, but that was extreme detail. And then I printed the other ones at the lower settings and it printed at two and a half hours. And honestly, I can't really tell much of a difference between the two settings. There might be some minor differences in detail, but all in all, for playability, you can you know set your settings for a good minimal setting, and you know print you up six, eight minis in two and a half hours. So, you know, and they're and like I said, they're really nice. So I definitely think uh, Quartermaster 3D uh, hit the mark on that one, and guys, check them out. All right, so the next thing, uh, we're going to have an upcoming review and play through of um, Dish Dash Games Ultra Combat Modern. So I I believe Marty is building a table for that, using some Ukrainian stuff, yeah? I am. Uh, I am, uh, uh, well, it's set in modern-day Ukraine, so that seems appropriate. Yeah. Just just saying. But, uh, yeah, I've... uh, uh, ordered up some trees. I've started building uh, some Ukrainian style houses. 
the uh, area used in the scenarios in the book is an actual real live place. So you can get satellite photos and whatnot. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, progress and planning have begun. Building is uh, underway and we'll, we'll uh, be making us, uh, I don't know, another three weeks or so. I think we were looking at playing something like that. Hopefully. So yeah. Hopefully yeah. That's I, the plan. Hopefully. Hopefully, I can I can meet that schedule. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, we uh, we're we're gonna have uh, it's, uh, a a table or a mat or something set up. I still haven't sorted out exactly how the best way to do that is because I'm kind of gun shy on setting up a six by four table that is only good for that one scenario. Mm-hmm. So trying trying to figure out how how to best address that. Yeah, no, uh, we can but, figure that out. But I was going to say, we, we've got time to sort that out, and uh, well, more well, I still got to build all the, all the crap that's going to go on it regardless. Yeah, so right. I'm doing that. Uh, although the, the first scenario is not hugely intensive as far as terrain goes. I mean, yeah. there's like 14 feet worth of roads. Uh, there's five Ukrainian houses and a metric crap ton of trees. Yeah. That's basically it. So, you know, and that's it's just right get- around that... Uh- that's right around that bloody airport, isn't it? Yeah, it's just to the east of it, not the west, as I said in our, our chat earlier. Chris is like, I don't see anything over there. That's because it's the other way. Sorry <laughs> about that. The airport. That's good. You're on the right. That's yeah, that my army GPS right. training right there. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah that the, airport, uh, Donetsk International Airport, I think now it has a different name because they yeah. kind of had to rebuild it from the foundation. Um, <laughs> yep. Well, didn't that they airport, that airport the whole city? Because it's not just Donetsk, it's several Donetsk or something like that. I don't know what the yeah. that prefix stands for. Um, it's uh, yeah, There was a hell of a battle there at, at the yeah. end of 2014, early 2015, uh, when that Ukrainian thing really first kicked off. Um, yeah, so I'm not surprised that uh, you know some of the historical scenarios take place around that area. Well, and using uh, international aid, they uh, completely rebuilt that airport and made it the regional uh, international airport in lieu of rebuilding the one at, uh, what is it, Lusk, Lusk, Mm -hmm. uh, the provincial headquarters or uh, provincial capital there. Uh, For some reason, they chose to go to Donetsk and uh, rebuild that one. Uh, That airport was pretty much brand new. Um, when the war started, it was, it was not an old airport. It wasn't like, you know, uh, Newark in New Jersey or something. You know, it was a nice airport and then it got pretty much leveled in, uh, again, like a three month battle, like a, one hell of a siege, like the Stalingrad of the, uh, of the, um, Ukraine war so far. Um, and then obviously they had to rebuild it. So yeah, I think, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been brand new twice now. I'm sure it's very nice. Yeah. I think the separate separatists, uh, pretty much, uh, owned all of that surrounding area for uh, about six months that summer. But the uh, 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 the local government forces never gave up the airport, <laughs> which which is kind of concerning because I've seen what the airport looks like. I'm like, well, what, where, where the hell were these dudes at? There's nothing left. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it looks like, uh, looks like it'll be a, uh, uh, a good scenario. Uh, I've been uh, – going through the, the rules as well because well apparently you need to know those to play uh but i've really been focused on on uh building the uh terrain uh 
to this table so that way we can get it done in a uh, uh, timely fashion. But, yeah, it's going to be cool. Very cool. And then um, part of that, well, I'll be doing another Wednesday night show because in my hand, literally in my hand right now, I have a box that was given to me a couple years ago with the original casts of the miniatures from this Kickstarter. So I have a full squad of Americans and I have a full squad of Russians uh, miniatures. Um, so these are the original casts from back in the day. So Very um, cool. we'll get those up so we can actually play with the quote-unquote official miniatures, even though they're recasting them with a new designer. But, hey, I got the original, so that's all is good. All right. That's right. Let's yeah. play with those guys. That's right. So, um, all right. So next... Gaz, you had a little uh, thing you would like to talk about. You want to lead us into that one? And it's in order, yeah, so Gaz. It's in order this time. <laughs> we were kind of uh, discussing what sort of subjects to bring up. And uh, I was sort of thinking about um, whether I prefer skirmish games or sort of uh, mass battle games. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, predominantly, you know, in modern, it's, unless you're outside of World War II, the majority of the modern stuff is skirmish level. Mm -hmm. um, Team Yankee are kind of breaking the mold a little bit on that, which is kind of cool with their 15 mil range. So you get to have a bit more, a bit more fun with modern equipment, and and I I do I do enjoy that, and I think each one has its sort of place. But I I really struggle to pin down actually which one i prefer mm -hmm. it's it's almost like a mood thing because uh, battle space is excellent you know and it's a it's a it's a low model count within reason you know you got your four main characters you can have up to well normal people have like 15 enemy but marty has like 25 to 30 <laughs> when he plays because he rolls so well for the enemy um it's and it's not you know, my fault it's the dice <laughs> Damn, if my dudes would activate on the, when they're supposed to, you know, this would solve itself. <laughs> the, the dice are out to get you. They are. I'm telling you, it's horrendous sometimes. Uh, and at the same time, great. <laughs> and at the same time, I love the Flames of War, where you you literally, you know, you can see your armor rolling across the battlefield, and yeah. your infantry is 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 needing to travel in vehicles. It's not just about you know chucking your Bergen on and, and heading over that hill. It's about, well, that hill's two miles over there. So let's, we need to be there in the next sort of few minutes. Mm -hmm. Let's get in vehicles and find a way. And that risk versus reward of, of armor being able to engage, you know, your troops while they're still in what is essentially a lightly armored vehicle or open top vehicle. Yeah. Um, and the visuals of a 15 mil table, you know, the trees, the houses that you can put into it to make it a, a real battle space that's very different. But then the compactness of, you know, again, battle space where you've got the compounds and you're moving through. I just, I was really, I'm, I'm just seesawing on it backwards and forwards all the time. And I was wondering what your, you, you know, the team's opinions were between skirmish and battle games for, for historical gaming. Well, I honestly, for me, it's dependent upon what I'm wanting to play. You know, if I want to do, you know, small squad tactics, obviously it's going to be skirmish. If I'm looking to do some big battles, you know, um, you you know, it's going to be, you know, 15 mil or smaller. Um, you know, now you have um, Battle Group North Hag, which is 10 mil. And then, you know, you can even go to 6 mil, um, you know, if you use some of those other rule sets that are out there. Um, you know, I even had 3 mil, you know. So you depending on what you want to do, 
you know, is really, I think it's scale dependent. I, I just fits the mood, you know, um, and how much time you have, you know, it, it's almost time relevant as well, because if you're doing a skirmish game, it typically a skirmish game will can go faster than a big mass battle, a large scale uh, game would. I mean, that's my opinion. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else has a different opinion yeah. on that. So, so I'm kind of a fan of the, the skirmish games. Uh, and, you know, I think that's a function of one, I'm, I'm new to the hobby. Mm-hmm. And, and two, uh, you know, if you're going to play uh, moderns, that's kind of where I came in at. And I'm most comfortable playing modern because of my military service. That's what I'm familiar with doctrinally and whatnot. So it's easy for me to lean into those and play those games. Whereas, like, uh, as we discovered playing, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Revolutionary War, uh, I'm not used to those tactics. It, it takes me longer to play. I have to think about it. Uh, Gaz forms a giant line and then gut stops me. So, <laughs> you know, uh, that, you, you pinned down his left wing and damn near turned his right wing. So that game was not nearly as one-sided as it looked. You guys came yeah, but close. He, he, he did have the biggest uh, skirmish line ever. In <laughs> he, was playing, he, he was playing his army in his period. Yeah, yeah he did an excellent job. I'm not, I'm not going to take anything away from him. Yeah. He did an excellent no, job with that. And I, I could hear Marty thinking out loud, what do you mean stand out in the open and stand up? That goes against everything we're taught. Yeah. One of these this. days I'm going to make a super cut of the, the, the casualties that they show in like most revolutionary war games, like the Patriot, mm-hmm. where the two lines fire at each other and like half of the front line like falls over, which is absolutely not what happened. That's why they could stand out in the middle like that. I'm going to super cut all those guys falling over with the MG42s firing into the Higgins boats <laughs> to save Private Ryan. Yeah, they're going to be like, where's the disconnect here, folks? This this is not what happened. So, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, uh, because because of the, yeah, you know, the tactics that I that I am familiar with, I, I lean towards that type of game right now. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm opposed to, to the other ones. Uh, you know, I have some interest in them. But um, what I am most familiar and comfortable with uh, leans into uh, modern terms. Gotcha. So that's primarily what I play. Cool. I mean, um, go ahead, Jim. Uh, Chris, anything? Or, or I'm sorry, Bill. You, we asked still. I was just going to say, you know, when it comes to some of the more non-skirmish, you got to think about Rourke's Drift, Ishlane Wanda, the Alamo. Those all are excellent ones to play. But, I mean... You know, it's not a typical skirmish, but you're going to be playing them for quite some time. So, again, it comes down to the scenario you want to play um, or environment you want to play, what scale you're going to play it at, you know, those type of things. So, you know, there's a lot of considerations. It's just depending on, you know, I want to get a game in. I've got a two to three hours to play a game. Let's do a raid in a village in some foreign country, right, in a modern setting. I want to play a big tank battle, you know, in uh, – World War Three or World War Two or whatever, then you know you play it at a smaller scale, but you can have a lot of stuff on the table, and it'll take you a while to activate all your units and so on and so on. So I think there's a lot of conditions. I I don't know if anybody speaking for myself, I would not want to be pigeonholed into one type of game, skirmish versus mass. I want to be able to play anything, and just depending on what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how much time I've got to do it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we all like both kinds of games, but some of us do have a preference. Mm-hmm. Um, Marty was talking about he prefers, uh, you know, skirmish games. Right. Uh, I totally get it. Um, I'm kind of the opposite. I totally prefer uh, large mass battle games because um, I don't always game with miniatures. I mean, I do sometimes, but not often mm-hmm. or not always, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, and once you get into either a computer or a hex encounter sort of a situation, large scale mass battle games become a lot easier. Right. Exactly. There's a lot to manage. Um, and as far as why I, I, I mean, why be a sergeant or a lieutenant when you can be a colonel, brigadier or major general? I mean, come on, I want to, you know, <laughs> I want some stars on my shoulder, but in more serious terms. Okay, I mean, Jim, now we know. Yeah, now you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, when I sit down and I play a war game, I want, you know, again, most of my games are historical. I don't like say, oh, you know, one, you know, someday in, you know, Botswana, you know, five minutes in the future or something. I mean, once in a while, that's fun. But, you know, most of my games are historical. The big battles are the ones that have a lot of information on them that you can build your scenarios with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're doing a historical battle, you want to do one that mattered. Um, And that is usually going to be a big one. There are small battles that matter, i.e. Pegasus Bridge is a good example. You know, there are small-scale skirmish battles that do matter, but those are the exception. If you're going to look for a battle in the Civil War that made a difference, you're looking at Gettysburg or Shiloh or Antietam. You're not looking at, you know, Joe Bob's Bridge in, you know, who knows where, North Carolina sometime. You know, you're looking at, you know. Yeah. So that's where I usually shake out on as far as large-scale battle games. If you want to do that in miniature, um, and I, we were saying before uh, that, you know, a lot of times modern mass battle games is tough to do in mm-hmm. miniature. First of all, there aren't a lot of modern mass battle games. There are more than people think. It's not just Team Yankee. For instance, there's Desert Storm um, as far as, uh, you know, historical mass battle games. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, two first world powers going at it. You know, Iran, Iraq went at it for eight years in a way that is huge. Yeah. The Falklands. I mean, there's there's huge, uh, you know, conventional games, conventional mass battle, modern games. Um, yeah, you were mentioning six millimeter. Uh, I know it's not exactly a new game. It's not exactly a spring chicken, but you know, GHQ micro. There you go. Still yep. Really, really tough to beat. They've been doing this since the sixties. Um, and they started off in moderns or what it was modern in 1969. Um, and, you know, they're still, you know, they've been a huge influence on everybody that's come afterwards, up mm-hmm. to and including Panzer Blitz. Oh, I mean, they've, definitely. they've, you know, they, they started off with that whole platoon era, that platoon level, or I should say platoon-based um, gameplay, uh, where you put a piece on the table, it's not a tank, it's a platoon of five, mm-hmm. and so on. And, uh, yeah, you go from there, and before you know it, yeah, when, when you go up to that platoon level, you know, you can build a mass battle game of a battalion or a regiment, or if you're ambitious, even a brigade, especially at six mil, pretty quick. I mean, a six mil table, that's like a big one, like like an eight by four, six mil table, you can cover a lot of real estate with that. Yeah, most definitely. Hey, hey Jim, let me ask yep. you, as, as, a, as a Marine who likes mass battles, are there any games out there that truly put a – are, are well designed for uh, combined operations? Yeah, but not lately. Um, as far as a recent game, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, so I can't a hundred percent give it like a you know a risk any stamp of approval. But um, North Hag, um, 
North Hag, I know some of the people that, 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 that published that game and I played their other World War II games and they're definitely uh, very, very good. And they definitely stress, even in World War II, definitely stress a, a real combined arms concept. Um, combined arms is like asymmetrical gaming. It's, it's one of those terms that gets thrown around in gaming almost as often as it's misunderstood. Um, they say, oh, well, my, my game has artillery in it. My game has aircraft in it. It's combined arms. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I'm talking ships and land units. Oh, you're talking and about like 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 amphibious combat. assaults or something? Yeah, not on a tactical scale. Not really. Is there not an Avalon Hill game for like uh, Guadalcanal or Iwo Jima? I thought there was a. Yeah, those those aren't going to be tactical. Those are going to be operational. Oh, okay. Those are going to be a gotcha. one click up. They're they're a little uh, higher level. Okay. Um, yeah, because by, by the time your game zooms out enough where it can actually deal with, uh, you know, like what the carriers are doing and where mm-hmm. they are, where the Japanese carriers are versus versus where your Marine is mm-hmm. in the foxhole, the Marine, you're no longer looking at a sergeant's view. You're looking at at least a colonel's view. Gotcha. If not a, you know, major general's view. It's, 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 yeah, you've zoomed out quite a bit. Um, in that case, yeah, there's going to be all kinds. Uh, if you're talking about more either like either littorial combat or uh, amphibious warfare operations, mm-hmm. sustained amphibious warfare operations, um, in a modern setting, I haven't really seen it. But like Bill was saying, yeah, there's going to be a couple for uh, for World War II. So it leads to the question: Is there one that goes the opposite way, where you start at a higher level fleet ops down to landing ships, down to landing on the beach, down to you know company level? you know battalion level company level you know it's kind of interesting can you scale it from one so you play all right we're going to invade the solomon islands let's use as an example and then you know you'd bring your fleet in is there going to be a a naval battle then you know once the naval battle is we start the landings and then go from there and then you know step down to each level until you get to that final you know battle i guess you could it's like a campaign type thing yeah, I was going to say, I don't think anyone sells that game, yeah. at least not that I know of, but I know lots of people who have tried to run those games. Okay. I stress, tried, tried. to run those games. <laughs> I mean, that that's going to be a lot a, of work. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. That is a metric ton of work. Yeah. That is, yeah. Yeah. Um, as long as the full war. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I mean. What is oh, a game God, that takes uh, forever in a day to play? I'm um, going to have to look up the name because I'm going to get the name wrong. I know the game. In, in, in my head, but I'm gonna go ahead and get the, the name wrong. Um, I think it's Decision Games War in the Pacific. Yeah, there's some game uh, that it literally takes. There's a game that people have not even finished, so it takes forever yeah, to War play. War in the Pacific Plus Extension by Decision Games is a multi-level simulation. Of, that's what you're talking about. Multi-level, mm-hmm. multi-level simulation of Pacific theater of operations in World War II. Uh, it's a hex encounter game that costs four hundred and fifty dollars. It comes with 27 square feet of maps nice. and something like 6,000 miniature, uh, 6,000 counters. I'm in. Can, is it still available yeah. for sale? Yeah. This, this is a, this is a, oh, a I'm looking it up right now. Game. I'm, I'm, uh, Decision Games has their website. Yep. Decision Games. All right. Here we go. Let's spend Bill's money. It's 450 bucks and status in stock. So it's not my <laughs> I bet. Surprising. <laughs> That doesn't include the cost of an addition on your house to set the game up because you're going to need like a whole new, like, large room. Hey, we have a game. You said 27 square feet of maps. 
yeah, I got to play that in the in in the driveway. Yeah, or, we got room. Yeah, I have to clear up room in the basement. Yep. All right. Uh, yeah, let uh, us move on no to our next. That playtime play is going to be like uh, like measured in months. Never mind hours. Hey, you can play it on Vassal. <laughs> Probably. Wow. Well, that's not the same. Uh, you know what? We need to talk about that at some point, but let's uh, continue on. Jim, you have a topic you want to talk about. Um, Speaking of games with too many pieces, I'm sorry, go ahead. (laughs) No, go right in. That was my segue in. Um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I was just, again, we're just trying to come up with things to talk about. So um, as people have probably seen, our op centers are going out about the Gulf War. And um, part one is already out, like the the whole, you know, build up and set up and then leading into the Desert Shield. And then part two, which is uh, coming out next week, is uh, about the air war. So we've been doing some air gaming with Air War C21 by Wessex Games. And uh, the question I had, and this again, this is like a point of discussion, is like, why don't more people play? Or I don't know, maybe this is like, why do you think more people don't play air combat games? Um, <clears throat> excuse me, air combat games. Like hmm. Air War C21. Right. Why would people maybe rather put T-55s up against, you know, M1 Abrams or something like that, as opposed to F-16s or F-15s versus MiG-29s? Um, they're definitely more exciting. I mean, everyone loves Top Gun. Everyone loves Iron Eagle or whatever. All these old, you know, everyone loves, you know, Star Wars and all their fighter combat games. Uh, I guess X-Wing might be the exception as far as, you know, fighter combat games. There are good miniature games out there for modern air combat. Or uh, there's also Blood Red Skies for uh, World War II combat. And, it, you know, is there a thing why, I don't know, I guess the question is, well, why does that always kind of seem to be like the niche? And I have a few theories, but I'd be interested to hear what the group thinks first. Hmm. Or even if you agree with that premise, I mean, maybe I'm off base. Well, I, I can speak from one side of that. Um, I have X-Wing and I have... Uh, games like that, uh, uh, our, uh, Oak and Iron, where it's mostly the, the ships, whether they're airships, sea ships, whatever. Right. Um, but Marty is more of the miniatures. He, he like big part of what he likes to do is painting. And, and that's that. So these mini- these air games do have miniatures. I guess there's not as much. I mean, Gaz had some great. Uh, he did his Ju88 yeah. and his uh, his Focke-Wulf 190 uh, videos. There is painting to it, but I mean, obviously the piece count isn't as high. Is it just maybe the piece count isn't? Well, most air say, I think it's like, a, I think it's a I think it's a double sided uh, coin there, uh, depending on where what you know where you fall on the spectrum. You know, uh, you've got the you've got the miniatures, and it's a low piece count. So you would think that that would be like a low barrier to to entry that people would be interested in it. But I think on the other side, you know, part of the reason why you know tanks and infantry get so much love is uh, because you're on the ground. Uh, you have to have the terrain on the on the ground as well, and perhaps that's what attracts people to that game is not just that I've got uh, my tanks or my little dudes. Uh, but I've also got, you know, if I'm in France, I've got Bocage. You know, I've got, you know, river crossings. You know, I, I get to put all this cool terrain on the table where, generally speaking, with the air games, that's not so much a thing. 
Yeah, air, air games and even some naval games. The, the terrain tends to be pretty boring. It's, yeah. <laughs> I, I have mean, a blue yeah. sheet. Hey, table's done. Where well, we go? <laughs> so here's my question. Is there, you know, listen to everybody talk. I think one of the things that may not draw a lot of people into these type of games, aviation games, is it's very hard to simulate a lot of the three-dimensional aspects of fighter combat on a game. You know, if you look, I'm going to take Chris's example of X-Wing. You can, you know, you pre-plane your moves and you can do, you know, certain turns and certain things, you know, like a, you know, almost like a hammerhead to come back, you know, uh, for anybody not, you know, like a U-turn, but a hammerhead. Um, you know, but it, it it doesn't simulate that feeling as well um, as, you know, if you were in a, another uh you know, media would be like a video game where, you know, you can do the loops and you can do the, you know, aileron rolls or whatever you're doing. Um, and it, it, you know, it's, it, 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 does this make sense? 2D versus 3D. Yeah. Well, it's 2D yeah, versus 3D in a 3D world. You're using, it's 2D uh, play. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. And, um, and if you're doing the 3D play, I mean, sometimes 2D play, the rules are hard enough to follow yeah, you know, because you know, because it's very hard to simulate uh, uh, altitude. You know, okay, the games uh, don't really lean into that. I don't think. Two small points on that, um, and this is all based on Air War C twenty one. So I may not have a complete uh, a spectrum of experience here, but uh, okay. Point number one: Air War C twenty one does do some three dimensional. Uh, uh, maneuvers. Now it has to do it somewhat abstractly because it is played on a two-dimensional surface. But the way an Immelman works, the way a split S works, the way certain uh, more three-dimensional maneuvers work is, especially when they fail, um, is uh, when the maneuvers fail and when the maneuvers succeed, is pretty much uh, you know it does kind of uh, you know handle that that that, that element and. Um, Looked at honestly, and again, here's where, you know, the segment of the show where Ariskany stands up on his little soapbox and talks about scale. Um, if you actually look at most actual documented fighter combat, mm-hmm. fighter combat is not nearly as three-dimensional as most people think it is. Nowhere close. A fighter combat, if you actually measure out the space that most fighter dogfights take place in or whatever, you're looking at at least 10 miles on a side and an altitude change of maybe 1,000 feet. So picture that in your head. It's it's not that three dimensional. I mean, obviously it's a little because you are a flying object, a flying aircraft or whatever, but not really. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, um, it's it's a very very thin band of uh, of spec, about a thousand feet by ten miles on a side. You know, that's that's not that two dimensional. I mean, that's not that three dimensional. Um, I can't speak about X-Wing because, you know, it's a space game. That's very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my – okay, so, yeah, number one, the, ta- the, the terrain is very boring. There's going to be a slight disconnect for the 3D aspect of the rules. I was thinking – and I, this is just a, kind of my, my theory. You said there's a lack of uh, visual – there's a visual disconnect between, you know, the capabilities of your units and what you actually see on the table. Yeah. In other words, okay, you look at a tank, you see an M1, you know what an M1 Abrams is. It looks big and hulky and scary compared to that poor little T-55 over there. Conversely, when you're playing the Russians or the Iraqis, you get to build, you know, 
20 T-55s and you get to put them all over the place. I mean, I have a Soviet Team Yankee Army and it looks awesome. It's terrible because it's all T-72s, but it, I have 18 of them and it looks great uh, just because of that. Um, you know, you put one F-16 on the table and this also goes for naval games, which is, you know, especially modern naval games. Mm-hmm. Harpoon is a good example. You don't see any guns. You don't see any missiles. You don't see a huge fleet. You see your whole army is maybe two pieces. Like that time, uh, uh, Bill played with me in the Strait of Hormuz. What was that? You had you had two pieces. You had a British frigate and an American destroyer. That was your whole force. Yeah, yeah. But then you look on that sheet and you, uh, you, you look on that ship sheet and you see, oh, this radar, this sonar, this missile system, this anti-missile system, this phalanx system, this electronics, 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 electronics. You don't paint electronics on a miniature. And uh, that's what really determines whether or not a, a unit is good or not. And I think maybe that might be a slight disconnect. Uh, you know, you build a, a spec ops unit, even in a skirmish game like Marty's games, you're going to see awesome camouflage, kick-ass optics, these, you know, awesome uh, assault carbines with all the trimmings on it, all the extra, you know, uh, additions to the rails and all that stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I have a Spruance-class destroyer. All my goodies are on the inside. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah. You know, it's... Yeah. Totally makes sense. No, I, no, I think you're right, and I think that kind, I think that kind of uh, also leans into, uh, you know, my point earlier about the uh, about the uh, the train. I think that the tables end up kind of being more visually appealing, maybe to some people. Oh, yeah, Does that makes sense. Oh, I totally agree with that. When I when I'm making a board for Air War C twenty one, I just get like those little Air War or those little uh, those tactical flight maps that you can get online. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of slap that underneath it, and I desaturate the hell out of it so it doesn't get confusing with the actual measurements on the table. But uh, otherwise, it's just literally a blank blue sheet with a grid on it. Yeah, right. And even for me, that's boring. You know, I'm like, you know, Mr. Hex Encounters. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> where are my hills? Where are my rivers? Where are my buildings, you know? Um, so I, it has no bearing on gameplay, but I just get one of these old maps and I just kind of slap it on there and I desaturate it, I make it transparent somewhat. So again, it doesn't get confusing, Yeah. but you've got to have something on the table. Oh, you do. Yeah. Now, yeah. Jim, do you think any of it has to do with, like you were talking about with the naval stuff? Now you've got the close in weapon system, just the amount of knowledge or lack people have thereof and what it would take to be able to play those well. That might be true. It's not it's something that, you know, as many people make movies about or uh, video games or YouTube videos or, you know, but I mean, let's face it, what, what a lot of people kind of start to learn, like the gateways, a lot of people start to learn about this stuff. As opposed to World War II in Northwest Europe, everybody has seen Private Ryan. Everybody has seen Band of Brothers. Um, so they yeah. kind of have a, a, a much quicker connection with that stuff. How yep. the CIC works in an Ali Burke class destroyer? No one's made a movie about that yet, so right. that might be uh, that might be a tougher uh, reach for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, because really, when it comes to people and, and tanks and stuff, it's it's kind of just a, a point and shoot. I mean, when it comes down to it, and then you start talking, you know, with the ship with all the different types of radar. High, you know, the the high frequency, the low frequency, the the sonars for the high frequency, low frequencies, and stuff like that, and what they eat. Oh, yeah, passive versus active, and yeah, thermoclines, blah blah blah. You know, now now you're getting out slide rolls and stuff to, to try to figure out if if I can see myself. Um, yeah, 
Oh, by your third game of Harpoon, when you pick up your new ship sheet, you don't look at the weapons anymore. You look at the sensors and you look at the helicopters. <laughs> sensors and helicopters. Yep. And when I say helicopters, I'm not talking about Apaches. I'm talking about Seahawks that carry sono boys. Or dipping sonar. All detection. All detection. Yep. yep. You know, I, I, when Harpoon would be out on a computer, I played the hell out of that. Yeah, but it has to come out on a computer. I, I was, I, I, my dad had a literal um, tennis court. We often, oh, you have to play that game on a tennis court. My dad had a tennis court in his backyard, and I would go out there and I would play harpoon. And um, God damn, it's <laughs> these like you can't use like the normal gaming uh, tape measures because they only go out to ten feet. You need like my dad's construction tape measure that goes out to twenty five or fifty feet. You know these gigantic. Uh, because, yeah, the battles get that big. And your ships are like one to a thousand or something. I mean, they're like these tiny little miniatures. And you need like a 50-foot tape measure. I mean, I'm like, yeah, maybe that's part of it, too, is scale becomes a problem. Because these ships are only a couple hundred feet long, and these cruise missiles have ranges of two, three, four hundred miles. Sorry, guys, what were you going to say? Um, I think another part of it is the fast movement that you get in air combat. Mm-hmm. A lot of people struggle to adapt to that more than, you know, to just reverse turn left, turn right, sharp turns. Yeah. You mean you, you can't just, you know, hover with your F-16s? Mm-hmm. Put on the brakes like Maybe in Wiley e. Coyote. <laughs> you can try with a Harrier. They have a special move for it, but uh, it's not easy, no. especially if you're fully loaded and if you're going quickly. Um I mean, I know, you, I know we're kind of kidding around, but some aircraft yeah. can sort of do that. Mm-hmm. But again, I stress sort of. That whole Harrier can hover thing, that's also kind of a myth. Um, yeah, so, really. Yeah, and it's VTOL, not so much hovering. Yeah. Like I said in the, in, in the uh, Falklands campaign, you know, yeah, they can take off vertically and they can land like perfectly vertically like a helicopter or whatever. But that's, you know, when she's in her birthday suit. If she's carrying any more than anything more than paint and pilot, she needs a little bit of a ramp, a little bit of a runway. Yeah. And uh, she's going to be, you know, making some turns uh, in a more conventional sense. Yeah. Um, what, what's the F-35 like with that? Oh, I, I don't know enough about it. Um, as far as exactly how how STOL and how VTOL, uh, like where that borderline is on, on those F-35s. And again, a huge part of that, it depends on, on payload. Um, I'm sure these planes can all do all the fancy tricks, all the hover, all stand on my tail, all do a little pirouette, you know, when they're empty, you know, no extra fuel, pilot paint, and that's it, you know, Mm -hmm. but once you load up, you know, God knows how many 450, 20 millimeter cannon rounds, you know, external fuel tanks, paved penny laser pods, GBUs, you know, cluster bombs, Mavericks, AMRAMs, God knows what else. Yeah. That's, that's all like tonnage. And, uh, yeah, once you get up to that, it's, it becomes a lot tougher to do, you know, maneuvers like that. And that's the kind of stuff that Air War C-21 does. Um, anyway, I didn't want to take over the stream no, with that. Good. I was just uh, – No, I, I just, actually you – know, I, I wanted to a, do – It's a, a type of gaming that a lot of people don't really get into. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I kind of get it, but I just kind of wanted to have a discussion as no, far No, no, that's why. cool because um, I actually have two favorite games when it comes to Air War. Go ahead. Um, Avalon Hills Luftwaffe. And uh, B-17, Bell of the Skies. You know, both of those I enjoy. Uh, you know, if I want to do some type of aviation-related uh, war gaming, again, Hex Encounter games, but, you know, you can do the bombing missions and, 
you know, um, and all those stuff. So, you, you know, I have those, you know, you can do air-to-air -air combat. So, I mean, but I think I'm better uh, situated to play a hex encounter type game if I want a war game, if I don't want to go to, like, the computer realm. So, you know, versus a miniatures game. I, now, I have not played uh, Blood Red Skies, so I, I don't know how well that game plays. Um, but um, that those are my choices if I'm going to do kind of like an air combat game or, you know, like we did, Jim, uh, when we did Air War. I, I enjoyed that, uh, you know. Air War C21, I mean, we did it mm -hmm. sort of. Obviously, obviously, we did it over the computer, so it, was, right. it wasn't like it didn't have any hexes on it, but it was kind of like a counter game. Yeah. Air War C21 is actually a miniatures game. It's basically, I mean, or I should say originally, it's either a one to 600 or one to 300 um, miniatures game. That's how most people play it. Mm -hmm. um, we had to do it virtually because of distance at the time. Um, and we poured it over. I poured it over the rules as best we could. Right. Um, and it's, I mean, I've tried a couple. There's a couple I haven't. Like there's one called, uh, I can't remember now, like Sam's on my six or something like that. Right. There, there's a couple that I'm not 100% or mm -hmm. check your six. I'm sorry. Um, for Especially for modern air combat. But Air War C21 is one of those games where it's the, – the rule book is like 20 pages. You know, it's not a big deal. And, um, I'm sorry? I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, second second edition Air War C21. It's not that big a deal. There are a couple of compendiums that, they, that they've come out with, mm -hmm. um, expansions like data annexes that really expand the kind of planes you can use and kinds of missiles and so on. Um, it's not perfect. Um or maybe I just don't know enough about the subject matter, but when you actually play a couple times, you learn real fast that, oh, here's why you have to do this. Don't try to do an Immelman without putting additional, you know, without kicking on your afterburners. Right. Because what's going to happen is you're going to fail, and when you fail, you lose X amount of thrust, and now you're below your stall speed. Don't go into a split S without kicking on your air brakes. It doesn't try to be a flight simulator. But we were talking about like, you know, that whole 3D kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. A split S is basically an implement in reverse where you're, you're, you're lowering altitude instead of gaining altitude. You know, you're flipping over on your back, you're diving down, and then you're, you're, you're doing that corkscrew pivot so that you can come out of your split S facing any direction. It's a way to change your, your, your direction 360 degrees any way you want Right. Um, in real life, assuming you can pull it off. But if you're going too fast and then you fail, basically you lose control of your aircraft a little bit. Now you're going too fast and you tear the wings off your plane. Your, your VMAX is exceeded. And you start, you very, very quick. And there's no like rules for it. There's mm -hmm. no like, you know, this is the part of gaming I like. Uh, the, the, at least one of my, um, you know, hallmarks of a good game is when things happen in the game and it starts to teach you the rules that aren't written down. Mm -hmm. The rules are organic. Where it's like, oh, here's a reason you don't do this. You know, you don't leave your infantry in the half tracks too long when you're advancing towards 88s, because this is what happens. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> There's no rules for that, but you learn very quickly not to do that. And then you read about real combat, and you read about real battles, and you're like, oh, they don't do that either. I've stood very vicariously, obviously, in those same shoes, and I've learned not to do that. And I've learned it now more intensely or more deeply because again, in a very academic sense, um, I've kind of been there myself. I've gone through the same process. Yeah. Um, vicariously, obviously. All right. Excellent. All right, Marty, you have a very interesting and timely conversation. It's been discussed on and off, you know, over the last couple of years since this was announced, but now that it's actually happened, it's interesting to hear what everybody thinks about it. And, 
we do have a uh, British citizen who can help hopefully shed some light on some things as well. Nope. <laughs> yeah, the uh, yeah the, the the topic that I brought to to the table, and I'm no expert on economics or anything else, but uh, you know I have seen, especially over the past couple of months, uh, where uh, folks have posted their concerns about the effect of Brexit on the hobby industry and how hobby companies are kind of uh, dealing with that, trying to lean forward in the foxhole and put themselves in the best position for it. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, it looks like uh, for the most part that the UK has, has put trade agreements in place uh, in a uh, kind of a temporary or a, uh, what they call it? Uh, uh, Like a continuance uh, agreement Mm -hmm. where basically they, they've kind of, uh, mirrored the agreement that they had when they were in the EU with a particular uh, country, trade organization, you know, uh, group of countries, whatever. Uh, But I know that there's been a a lot of concern about that because, you know, while that may be in place, trying to figure out how to do some of that because, you know, turns out it's a different form. It's a different piece of paper. You know, you've got to talk to a different guy, whatever. Uh, you know, has been concerning for uh, some of the hobby folks I've seen on uh, uh, online, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's you know YouTube, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. You know, so I I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, is that really is it really going to have a profound uh, effect? You know, because you know we're sort of you know a week and a half into it now, and uh, you know now we're trying to figure out. Uh, you know, is it, is this really a, a thing? But, you know, prior to that, you know, there were companies that uh, were very concerned and had chosen to uh, take some action. You know, like uh, just before Christmas, Luke Fellows from Luke's APS uh, uh, entered into agreement with uh, Footsore North America. And Footsore North America is now the North American distributor for Geek Gaming Phoenix. Mm-hmm. You know, because he was, he was concerned that he wouldn't be able to get stuff out. Uh, from the UK or get it out in a timely fashion or affordable fashion, whatever. So, uh, you know, that was uh, an agreement that, that he made, for instance. And that's really kind of what got me thinking about this. I'm like, oh, so I wonder how big a deal this really is. Because <clears throat> obviously he thought it was, you know. Uh, you know, I think it's a good business move any way you slice it because yeah. it makes uh, the American market, it opens it up, up to him more. But, you know, uh, what about, uh, you know, all these little mom and pop shops, you know, so many of the, the miniatures companies in particular that we love, you mm-hmm. know, those are one, two, three man operations. They're probably not able to do something like that. Yeah. You know, so, you know, how, are they going to be negatively effective? Are we, are we still going to see those guys around? That's a good I don't question. Know. I throw, I, not, I throw it out. Not to mention the COVID thing is exacerbating that whole issue too. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. For that's, sure. Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. Gaz, what does the pulse feel like there? You know, you know, a lot of ha, are you feeling the effects of Brexit now? Or I mean, have you, you know, in your journeys around the interweb, you know, looking at other companies, have a lot of people, you know, hit the panic button? I mean, 
we, you know, obviously we got a lot going on in the U.S. right now, so I don't see us having a lot of, you know, those kind of conversations. But what are, what are you guys seeing from your side? Um, I think, to be honest, I, it's not so much. I, I rarely look into this being in the military. I kind of don't think about it, if that uh-huh. makes sense, because it's, it's not it's not something that really creeps into my life. Right. Uh, but so there's, there's a stopgap already of, I think it's six months, where pretty much in the transition, this initial sort of transition period, uh, I believe most companies, uh, they've Europe and the UK agreed to sort of keep things going forward for another six months as almost as is. Okay. Um, so yes, Brexit's happened. Yes. We're looking at the new rules. Yes. Stuff's been agreed, but for, is that for now mutual, um, stability, maybe during COVID because of COVID or maybe just because nobody's really ready for this bigger change. Mm-hmm. But I think there's, um, there's a transition period where stuff's kind of staying the same. It's an unwritten rule. We'll treat you like you've treated us for all these years and then we'll look at it down the line. Um, obviously everybody's worried about it. It's all up in the air. The, the rules are pretty scattered, uh, from what I've seen to do with, um, where the tax, who's what tax is getting applied, how much, where from, where to, mm-hmm. um, and you know between transitioning between the mainland Europe and the UK. Gotcha. The the only policy I've read a little bit up on was actually Games Workshop, to be honest, mm-hmm. because they do do some items from outside of the EU, mm-hmm. such as Japan, uh, not Japan, such as China and other places. Okay. And what I read in still very up in the air about what the actual fallout is of uh-huh. that. So what they're doing is I think they're going to end up putting up their prices but absorb the additional costs. So the whatever tariffs, taxes, etc. for shipping and and that would that would normally come, you know, by by you know the old boats and that. Mm-hmm. Um whatever new taxations and such, they're just going to fold into their prices so that the customer doesn't really have to deal with that. Um, and I think that's them just future-proofing, seeing that, yes, we've got this transition period, but also, will that transition period become another one? Will that become another one? Mm. So by them sort of doing that right off the bat, whatever happens later, they can factor in then. Okay. But they'll have an answer now rather mm-hmm. than waiting on an answer. Gotcha. Uh, that could change in six months, you know, because I don't think you can build a business around that. You can't plan that sort of level of financials mm-hmm. um, with a with a with a year that potentially has fluctuating taxes and uh, differing costs uh, for the volume of what you bring into the country, right? And where from? Exactly. All right. So as yeah. a as a nation at the moment, it's it's kind of fell off our radar because of because of COVID. Okay. Yeah, I mean, um, I haven't really seen a lot. I've heard problem. it mentioned here and there, but um, you know, I haven't seen a I haven't seen anybody sending up smoke signals saying help. You know, at this point in time. So, and I know they had put that agreement in. I just don't remember or hadn't read a lot of details as to what the agreement was. I know it was like a last minute thing, but. Uh, at least they were able to do something. So, yeah. So, I, as of right yeah. now, I don't think Brexit is really affecting it. I mean, we'll have to see down six months down the road when they readdress all this again. But um, hopefully, right now, it you know yeah. they're they're kind of you know I don't think it's a priority right now with COVID and everything going on. So, 
Um, well, well I know the uh, is it the British uh, Toy and Hobby Association, something like that, uh, which uh, seems to kind of uh, represent the the gaming industry in the, the UK. Uh, had a uh, uh, they did an article a couple weeks ago, and uh, they were very concerned about how this was all going to to go not knowing, you know, because they get products from all over the place and then they ship products to all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the biggest fear people have is really fear of the unknown. They're just not sure how, how things are going to work out and they're trying to position themselves, uh, you know, in the best way uh, possible for their business. Uh, But again, you know, my kind of my thoughts on that were, you know, the bigger companies will, will be able to, to sort, sort that out, make other, uh, uh, agreements, get distributorships, blah, 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 that stuff. Right. But, you know, are, are some of our favorite smaller companies going to be able to do that? Cause I, you know, I'd hate to, to lose some of our little miniature manufacturers, you know, again, mom and pop shops, you know, it's one, two, three dudes cranking out minis on demand. And then, you know, all right, well, my, you know, my mini's normally uh, four bucks, but I gotta, I gotta charge you eight plus shipping and shipping by the way is now crazy. Yeah. You know, it, it, is that going to put them out of business kind of thing? Mm-hmm. It's possible. I mean, so, so hopefully that all gets we'll sorted see. out and whatnot. Like I said, that from what I can tell, uh, you know, doing my, doing my homework, uh, to talk about this, there's been a crap ton, uh, particularly between October and, uh, the end of December, there's been a crap ton of, uh, agreements made between, uh, the government and the various, uh, trade organizations and countries that they do business with, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, the, you know, the, the British government is doing, you know, the UK government's doing their thing. Yeah. They're trying to uh, get all this in place. Cause obviously, you know, their goal was not to uh, tank their own economy. Uh, but, you know, how, how is that going to affect how business actually gets done? Right. You know, yeah, and think, uh, that's, oh no, go ahead. Get, I think the final sort of deal in the with Europe has been in the sort of eight hundred billions. Uh, I know that they've before even that happened, they're in the hundreds of billions with the nations that we're now able to form trade agreements with. For example, one of the lads at work, um, I kept an eye because he's from Kenya, so I was looking to see if anything happened with them. So I think we got a trade agreement with them for about 14, 15 billion for the import and export of fruit and and some other stuff. Um, so. It's, it's essentially going to open up some markets for hobby, but to, not necessarily to areas that would hobby. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it, it will give us lines into, you know, Japan and other places. But again, where culture doesn't drive our version of the hobby. So instead you're looking at Gundam and you're looking at anime and you're looking at uh, stuff like that, whereas... You know, Europe is is always going to be, I think, the biggest market, uh, other than the U.S. potentially, um, for you know World War Two, for Flames of War, for bolt action, for because that's where the, the majority of what happened happened. Yeah. For Napoleonic, so it does yeah. open up new doors. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it does open up new doors and and new opportunities, but not not as much to the hobby industry business because it's. The focal point was already there, mm-hmm. um, and what we're getting that's new isn't as interested in what we do as, as what we already had. Yeah, and 
I think the big concern was just the, you know, uh, you know, especially, you know, talking about the, the hobby side of things, they just wanted to keep it the status quo. So that way they are able to, uh, uh, you know, continue business, uh, without having to make huge changes. And it looks like many of the, uh, with many of the agreements in place, I think that that's pretty much happening. Uh, it looks like, you know, obviously if you're shipping stuff around, uh, there's some new customs regulations to deal with, which really is just a change in paperwork, question mark, <laughs> uh, from what I can tell. But, you know, it's that uncertainty, I think, that the, uh, the businesses are also feel, <laughs> feeling, hence their uh, apprehension. But hope, hopefully that's all it is. I mean, if, you know, if it's a matter of, hey, I got this from this country, uh, so I have to do this import form, or, hey, I'm shipping to this uh, country, so I have to do a different export form, um, to, to me, that seems like it's it's not too great a burden. But if it starts getting into, you know, all sorts of crazy tax rates, well, you're, you're sending this to Spain, so you got to pay a dollar. You're sending this to France, so you got to pay 12 bucks. You're sending this to the U.S., so you got to pay a thousand, you know, whatever it is. You know, obviously all made up numbers. But, you know, that that would be problematic for uh, especially for small businesses. Yeah. yeah. So, Marty, when I first saw your topic, I was thinking, you know, from, you know, uh, selfishly about how it's going to affect us over here getting, you know, the good products from there. Um, and I think that's what most of this talk has been about. But on the flip side, is this going to affect the gamers in the UK with uh, trouble trying to get product in? No, I don't think so. Because anything that comes from China probably um, will already have to set up in how they transition, whether they go through the med or the, I don't imagine anybody goes around Africa anymore or, you know, so I think the the pre-established trade routes will stay the same. Um, it's just what we set ourselves yeah. as tax for, for the stuff. Um, even, you know, looking at the smaller companies, maybe, as in there's some, you know, Polish companies that produce miniatures, but they're not the, the larger trending miniature ranges to begin with. You know, the likes of Flames of War, Bolt Action are probably the but, two biggest. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was but like the, the, the Polish uh, gaming companies are covered under the, the EU agreement, aren't they? So for the first for the next six months, yes, but after yeah. that, who knows? And that's what we were talking about with some companies are making hard decisions now so that they can future proof and not have to rejiggle everything in six months and potentially another six months and right until until it solidifies into it. This is what's happening. Yeah, I was going more like you know your local hobby shop. Are they going to be able to keep product on the shelf? Uh, well, my local hobby shop stocks. Uh, Blood Red Skies, that's Warlord Games, that's UK. Um, they stock, you know, Games Workshop, Bolt Action, Saga, Gangs of Rome. And up to yet, they've not had any major dramas, but saying that, the warehouses are still, have, the warehouse for any company that's going to have a problem will still be stocked as it stands. It won't be for a few months until those warehouses start to, to lose the stockpile. Because um, most of the companies, I think, again, thinking ahead, they, they bought and shipped extra yep. as our, sort of a last hurrah, just in case stuff doesn't pan out the way they think. 
So I think we won't know until, I don't know, April, May, when we start to yeah. see, well, we can't get stock from them anymore because they've not got any now and they've new tariffs and such, and we can't get stock for that anymore. So I think we've got a little bit of time before we'll find out the truth. Okay. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, a lot of the, the stockage problems don't appear to be related to Brexit, not yet anyway, but more to, to COVID, you know, uh, yeah. reduce manufacturing capacity, reduce shipping capacity, you know, uh, that type of stuff has mm-hmm. really uh, affected the industry. And let's that, be honest, yeah. the majority of stuff comes from China or, or you know, so, somewhere um, over to the east. You know, it's, it's, there's not that much made in Europe for, for the mainline game systems. Night models, maybe, you know, stuff like yeah. that going to see some stuff potentially start to disappear off the shelves or, or the reverse where they get a new second lease of life out of a contract that actually benefits them more. Okay. We're also going to see a ripple effect when it comes to prices going up and down and, mm-hmm. and, and differentiated between um, blocks as well. So US, UK, Europe will become areas where the prices might be drastically different. Yeah, and ho- hopefully that's not too drastic a change. <laughs> no, because if, if it's cheaper here, I can buy it and send it to you. And if it's cheaper there, you can buy it and send it to me. So it all works out. Yeah, yeah well, it, yeah, we're, we're going to have to set up our own trade agreement here, Ben. We're going to have to buy a cigarette podcast boat, start the Navy, the yeah, when, when that whole uh, we're only going to release hero quests in the U.S. Uh, Civil War broke out. You guys remember that a couple months yep. ago? Yep. Uh, yeah. I was on. Crazy. I was on. What's I was on uh, uh, Jerry and um, oh god, Sundancer stream, and Sundancer was just like you know, like crying into his you know into his Cheerios about oh damn you Hasbro. And I'm like guys, how many do you want? I'll buy them and I'll strip them over to you. I won't even charge you anything extra. Then they never replied. Yeah, I had a couple yeah, people reach out to me uh, well as well about that and never yeah. heard back from. So I don't know. Did they open it up to uh, the UK? I have, I have no idea. I don't really yeah. care that much about Hero. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, not well, to be, weren't uh, they supposed to open that up after the new year? I thought. I honestly but, don't know. Um, well, it's not available. It's a great deal of attention so. to it either. I'm sorry, I was keeping up with it when, when, when people were complaining about it. But yeah. other than that, I, I kind of lost track of it. Hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, it's about time to close out the show. Um, I had an idea pop in my head when we were talking about gaming and different genres and types of things. Jim, at some point when you are feeling creative, I would love to play another uh, Revolutionary War game. Um, this time I'd like to do King's Mountain. And I would like tanks. <laughs> uh, Kings Mountain's interesting. Yeah, yeah late war. Uh, was that South Carolina, seventeen eighty one? Right on the border between yep. South Carolina and North Carolina. Yep. Um, that is almost a completely um, militia battle. Yeah. Uh, from what I can remember, um, I do have a book on it. So uh, yeah, we've got the pieces for it. It wouldn't be that hard. It would just be a matter of drawing up the map. Yeah, it's um, it, it's going to be a different one because it's there isn't a lot of open terrain, uh, you know, for line no. formations and you know the uh, colonists snuck in essentially and you know pinned the British 
to the top of the mountain for the most part. They did do charges, but, you know, I've been to the Kings Mountain Battlefield. I thought it was really interesting, so... And I just was. Well, memory re- serves. It's just a really tall mountain uh, for that area. A yeah. tall, a tall-ish mountain. Yeah, it's a uh, big heavily hill. Heavily wooded. Yeah, heavily wooded. Yeah. And I just read. Uh, I I own the Time Life Western collection, and one of the books is called The Frontiersmen. And at the very end of it, they talk about the King's Mountain battles. You know, because of the westward uh, expansion in Kentucky, then Tennessee, which was actually part of North Carolina at the time. So it, you know, being. One of those battles you don't see a lot about. I thought it'd be interesting. Uh, I'm looking at my bookshelf now. I have a uh, yeah, Battles of the American Revolution is the name of the book. If I can find it, it's um, edited by Eisenhower's son, um, J. S. Eisenhower. I think his name was. Uh, he was with the staff at West Point at the time, and there's 11 battles looked at in detail there. Uh-huh. And I do know that Kings Mountain is one of them. So I've got a pretty good reference source for it if I can find Excellent. it here on my shelf. But yeah, uh, yeah no problem. Excellent. He does. He does great, uh, great stuff. The uh, U.S. Army actually uses a lot of his stuff for uh, for staff rides, where they uh, you know train staff and officers on you know this is what happened in a particular historical battle, and they'll walk the battlefield while. Oh yeah, it. definitely. It, it's pretty cool. Uh, they, in the uh, credit slides of the uh, most op center episodes, if you pause on that little credit slide, you'll see. Yeah, that is definitely the source. That uh, uh, I, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, yeah, U.S. Army Institute, our historical institute. Uh, I think it's out of West Point. Uh, yeah, uh, U.S. Army Center for History or something. Or yeah, yeah. Um, I can't find that book right now, but yeah, I'll find it, All and right. I will. Uh, I, I do know for sure that uh, uh, that Kings Mountain is in there. It's like Excellent. the last one. Excellent. Maybe we can I mean, even get that, gas what, to what play really the is, British there's, again. There's, there's Yorktown, but Yorktown's not really a battle. It's more of a siege. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I cool. kind of liked uh, Kings Mountain just because it wasn't your typical line formation. Let's meet in the open field, trade shots, and then, you know. Yeah, because what I was thinking is the reason I was trying to find this book right now, which I'm epically failing at, is wasn't it almost all militia on both sides? It yeah, they, the, the militia literally came from Tennessee into South Carolina, and then they uh, cornered them right there on the mountain. So, Well, I'm saying it wasn't a militia on both sides. No, wasn't uh, was, it, um, was it loyalists? Um, That's what I'm asking. I think it might have been loyalists versus the colonists. Yeah, but yeah, but in other words, not really a whole lot of regular troops. Soldiers uh, yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I would have to, I'd have to look back. Yeah, I will look back as soon as I can find my freaking book. But, All right. Oh well. So no there worries. we go, Kings Mountain. I like that idea. All right, guys. So we're going to wrap up the show. Uh, we want to thank everybody uh, for supporting the Sit Rep Podcast on our many facets. Uh, again, look for this Wednesday for another Hump Day show. Um, not sure what will be on the schedule yet, but um, there will be something at approximately 7 p.m. Um, so keep an eye out for that. We'll make an announcement on our Facebook page as soon as we get that programming set up. In the meantime, uh, Jim, you have gaming today. Well, this show will air after that, but what are you doing today? You're doing uh, Queen's Royal Irish Hussars. Uh, that was one of the three battalions in the uh, British First UK Armor or the First UK Armor Division in Desert Storm, mm-hmm. Operation Granby, as the British called it. Um, one of the three battalions that had Challenger One main battle tanks in Desert Storm. So we're going to put them up against their old friends from the 52nd Iraqi Armor Division. All right, awesome. They well, fought for a good two days, 
uh, like over and over again. And we're mm-hmm. going to do one of the later battles uh-huh. during the Battle of Norfolk, 27 February, 1991. All right. So, Jim, who won? I, how would you know? We haven't played it yet, but you know. <laughs> Historically, <laughs> that's, the, that's the beauty of asymmetric gaming. You can you, know, you can take a battle that was obviously won, yeah, but you can still make it fun and uh, challenging for both players. Most definitely. So, what's your minimum goal, Jim? What do you looking back now? Because all these guys will have seen this or heard the episode. Sorry, so they'll they'll know the result. But what's your minimum? What do you consider a win condition as the Iraqi? Okay, well, it's uh, actually I'm using the ones uh, right out of uh, TCME Tactical Combat Middle East by Toshash Miniatures, and uh, they just use regular victory points. So it's like five victory points for a coalition unit destroyed. It is 10 points for a uh, coalition tank destroyed and one point for an Iraqi unit destroyed. But here's the killer. The Iraqis get one victory point every time a coalition unit is pinned. Oh. So, yeah, the coalition player has to come through that. First of all, they're out number three to one. Second of all, they have uh, – the Iraqis have improved positions on reverse slopes and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. I do have oil fires on the map that are going to block line of sight. And of course the ranges are absurd, but again, challenger ones versus T 55s. Who's yeah. walking away from that get together. Right. You know? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, the British have to, t- or I should say the Irish have to take every single objective effects. They've got 10 turns and they've got to basically not only never get killed, but never take it never even really get pinned down. Gotcha. Well, sounds good. All right. There you guys go. So for the first show of the 2021 season six, uh, there you are. And we will talk to you guys soon. Um, Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And uh, I can't say enough to everybody that's supported us throughout the years. And uh, pretty much thank you very much. And we'll see you guys soon.